There we go. I've been like 90% in syncing that up with the actual beat. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the cave. It's your boy, Joe Reezy. I'm here with Jermaine and Zach should be coming through in a little bit. But before we introduce our guests and get started, make sure you check out safelightcandle.com. Safelightcandle is an LED light fixture company that sells LED light fixtures for your studio, your workspace, or your home. Check out safelightcandle.com and also check out our website at cave.com. That's k4v3.com. And now, October's spooky, you know, in the cave. We like comics. We like pop culture. How how appropriate is this? We got Paranoid American. Thomas, what's up, man? How you doing? Welcome to the show. What's up, yo? Happy Friday. How you Happy doing? Friday. Friday. Yeah, yeah. Friday. Thomas, man. Um, brief intro. First of all, Paranoid American. How did you get that name before anyone else, man? <laughs> um, man, I, I was buying domains up in like the, the late 90s. Um, but uh-huh. this one I, I grabbed in 2012. And honestly, I went through so many different names before i got to this one and it was available and that was usually that's kind of how the names work now right like you come up with a good name and you're like oh someone's squatting on that dot com so now you got to come up with another name or shell out you know whatever crazy amount they want for it seriously and i mean paranoid american i feel like did i mean like like you said i was trying to get your socials right is that a name that you had trouble getting through all the socials? Because you kind of wanted to keep it uniform, right? Yeah, there there was a couple that it was taken here and there. But again, since I jumped on a lot of it early, the biggest one was Facebook. But I, I, you know, every time I got oh, yeah. banned on Facebook, I'd come back. So now there's like a Paranoid American, a Paranoid American Inc., a Paranoid American Inc. Comics, Paranoid American Comics. Um, but they're all like, I don't got access to any of them anymore on Facebook. So there'll there'll be like some fifth or sixth incarnation of that one soon too. <laughs> That's awesome. Speaking of uh, paranoid, you were on uh, Trebles Garcia's podcast, Paranoia Radio. I uh, guess yeah, shout out that name was fun, too. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, Trebles is a cool guy, man. Love his energy and his curiosity. He's like really into it. <laughs> he runs a tight ship, man. It was a it's a like a quick thirty minute interview. Uh, and it and it ran by real fast, man. It was it was awesome. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like he doesn't market it as a podcast. He markets it, you know, paranoia radio, and it's got a radio vibe. You know, it really stands out on its own. So shout out Trebles, man. Shout out paranoia radio. Yeah, any anyone that's uh, paranoid is a friend of mine. <laughs> Even though we we paranoid people tend to not like really contact each other. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I saw that collab, man. I. I was like, man, the planets are aligning. This is crazy. <laughs> Something big's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, of, been, uh, I've been doing this since uh, 2012 is when I first started the company. But I mean, I was doing it since 2006. And even before that, it was just all conspiracy theories. Like everything I wanted to do somehow related to a conspiracy theory somehow. Man, you know what? I was super into it around when 9-11 happened because i feel like that's the first event that i was consciously aware of and you know um experienced but 
going down deep in the rabbit hole, I kind of took a hiatus, took a break from it. But like I like I keep repeating on this podcast, after 2020, you know, it's like, oh shit, this shit's real, you know. I gotta where did I put that chess box at? <laughs> you break out the old notes, start studying back up again, like you need to pass the GED for the second or third attempt. Yeah. Seriously, you're looking through the books and shit. I got got these all crumpled papers. But um I listened to your episode with Trebles and you mentioned that you joined the army. Af- uh, you were in the army already or was it the air force right air force yeah yeah you were in the air force nice pre 9-11 how yeah. what was your experience witnessing that and were you skeptical right away or how, how did that i didn't even you? witness anything man the, so the craziest part about that is that 9-11 happened maybe two weeks in the boot camp and i remember exactly what i was doing because we were just out doing marching drills and all of a sudden um all of the TIs came out and they basically like had everyone get back inside. And then we all got our flashlight. This sounds like a joke, but it's not. Everyone got a flashlight and like, um, like a little flag belt that you would put around your waist. Like you're playing flag football, right? But, uh-huh. but everyone that was in training, put these things around and then they gave you like a special little topper to your flashlight that turned it into like a, um, like a fluorescent kind of glowing like flag type of situation and they just had everyone post up and just be on alert like just you know let anyone know if you see something suspicious and we just stood out there for the rest of the day went back in like nothing else had happened and Mm -hmm. i think like two weeks went by just just regular old boot camp and somebody in my flight their parents like snuck an article in or something like it was folded in half and i guess whatever they they missed it or maybe they let it through i don't know exactly what happened but all Mm -hmm. of a sudden these these people are like, no, that's not true. Blah, blah, blah. Like a big ruckus came out and eventually was, they had an article about the twin towers getting hit and no one could believe it. Cause it's the first, we're all hearing about it. And we figure we're in the military. Of course we'd hear about this. If it was yeah. true, you know, are you messing with us? And then that night, the TIs brought us back in and basically said, yeah, no, this is true. This happened. We didn't want to distract you from, you know, your training, but it's weird because I missed out on like this moment where, we came out and nothing to change for me. You know, I just, I went through boot camp, but mm-hmm. like the world hadn't changed outside of me because I'd been around for, you know, 20 years or I was, I was like 17, I think at the time, but I've been around for two decades. Right. And the world hadn't really changed drastically. And then all of a sudden the six weeks that I took myself out of, you know, out of the world, that's when everything changes. And every, and apparently everyone was like loving each other and like, this is America and they're all nationalists <laughs> again. But again, I didn't go through any of that. I didn't get that like traumatic programming. So it was it was weird for me coming out. And honestly, I even though I was a conspiratorial person, I didn't uh, assign it to anything conspiratorial right off the bat. Because again, like I was, right. I was in the middle of training, so I didn't have a lot of space in the, in my brain at that point to be sitting down and thinking for myself. Like it was all just train, train, train for for pretty much the first year and a half. That's interesting. I mean, if I were you and I was in basic training and I and I saw the article, I'd be like, man, this is part of training. You know, you got to stay calm, stay focused. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it was weird. Like no one even believed it at first because right. it was like, you know, they don't let anything through. If someone, you know, wrote something a little bit uh, risque, they wouldn't even let that through. And then all of a sudden this article comes. So uh, but it, it was it was surreal, man. It was honestly surreal. And I'm not sure I even really 
believed it until you know enough people were like i can't believe this but like i didn't see the footage the day mm. of you know i didn't see pictures i just heard about this article and saw uh like a really low res um article of like one of the explosions going off but i didn't know anything about building seven i didn't know about uh the pentagon i didn't know about any of that stuff until way after training because it's, it's not like that's that's the thing that everyone's talking about on base right no well, talking about what happened to to building seven as as you shouldn't know you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that was part of it that was part of the training is to not know about it but that, that also it rocked my world a little bit of look at how easy it was to just not tell me about this thing that changed the planet um and then that doesn't affect me the same way that it does for everybody else like i just i didn't go to that so i didn't see that movie with everyone else so i didn't get the reference right away right it's that that is interesting that's a pretty unique perspective because being part of the part of the um majority you know what i mean that was like like i said for me that was the first event that i experienced consciously and was like hmm something's up i mean at the time it was like the tabloids with the devil face in the smoke you know what yeah, I mean? boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean it wasn't until later but interesting to note that the people, like the army, the military, like they didn't really even know that happened. So, I mean, just to show how compartmentalized everything is. That's and that was specifically just because right? I wasn't training. So it's not like I had access to outside anything for a, for a long time. But if I was in like tech school, I would have known. It was just because I happened to be in boot camp at that exact time. Mm-hmm. I see. Well... For everybody, I mean, majority of the people here, there, there's probably two of us that really go deep down the rabbit hole of quote unquote conspiracy, you know what I mean? Supernatural stuff. Uh, but the other people that kind of just tune into the shallow ends of the cave, their first intro to conspiracy was 9-11 and the Twin Towers. So... I wanted to ask you, since you were kind of, you kind of missed out on that. What was the event that really sparked that interest in this, in this uh, topic and field? Um, I mean, it was probably like the JFK assassination. I remember seeing the JFK movie and how many, like before, I guess, memes existed, but so many people were doing that joke about like back into the left over and over. So I ended up watching it and I couldn't believe the care, like, they have Joe Pesci is like drawn on these crazy eyebrows. So I remember I just went and started looking up some of the people that were in this JFK movie. And first I saw the, a picture of the dude with the eyebrows, like legit eyebrows. And I remember that blew my mind. And then somehow just like once you start looking up, and this is in the mid 90s, right? Once you start looking up JFK assassination or anything, even slightly conspiratorial in the 90s, you kind of like get steered towards like a very small niche of sites. So um, mm -hmm. around that time, it was had a whole bunch of like sacredtext.org type sites. Like a road was around for sure that has like trip reports. Um, and then I think whale.2 was another one, or, or it might've been like, like just before whale.2 uh, cause the dot two TLD didn't come out for a, a little while, but essentially it's a huge collection of like ancient books or, you know, undisclosed or uh, top dis declassified military documents. And that's where I found out about MK ultra. I, I read all these crazy articles that I can't find again, but about how the old opera singers would use this vibrato 
of their vocal cords and would like shape the the audio in a certain way and and you can almost go back and listen to like a lot of older recordings and they all do that uh, uh like mm-hmm. that uh the vibrato where they like fluctuate the frequency and this yes. long long article on like GeoCities or something to, or angel fire page oh, yeah. but it was talking <laughs> about how that vibrato would put you into a trance and that they would play this kind of music in like establishments or like just in, in certain areas because it kind of like entered you into this um, sort of like beta or Delta wave uh, sort of like entrancement that now gets attributed to TV and movies. But they were talking about pinpointing and, and the reason that people were doing this was to entrance you. And I just remember like, that was probably the first thing that really got me into like mind control. Cause I've, I figured at that point that there was something to that. And I'm, you know, I was 15 or 16 so learning about that, and then um, I ca- think I came across some Jordan Maxwell speeches, and where he's talking about maritime law, and that like sealed the deal for me. So that's where that was where I cut my teeth, man. It was pretty much on Jordan Maxwell um, quotes on maritime law, and like uh, like whatever the legal book is where they talk about monsters. That one mm-hmm. kind of like set me down a whole spiral. So you have like ninety five, ninety six. Hell yeah, yo. Oh yeah, Zach. Zach's here. Zach, this Yo, is also an American. Zach, what up? <clears throat> what up, man? So Zach, How's it going? Now that you're here, and you came at a perfect time because we were talking about how, you know, how how did we get into conspiracy? He was just explaining how he did. But interesting enough, a lot of people's gateway into it was 9/11, right? He was in basic training for the Air Force during that. Yo. So he, he didn't even know that it happened, dude. So <laughs> Yeah, they didn't tell us because they didn't want us to lose focus on training. So um I and I always like you mentioned or I was talking about what got me in, it was the JFK thing. Because mm-hmm. I re- also remember it was this thing that people would say, Oh, everyone knew where they were when you know you, you heard JFK got shot. Like even my parents would say that. And mm-hmm. I always was wondering, like, what's my moment gonna be? Like for my generation growing up what was I going to say? Like, Oh, like everyone remembers where they were when something, something happened. And it wasn't really princess Diana. That was kind of a big thing when I was younger, but it was, you know, it wasn't an American thing necessarily. Nine 11 was that thing. So I almost feel like I missed out a little <laughs> bit on like that thing. Right. Cause it's like, Damn. where were you? I was like, well, honestly, I was like holding a flashlight up like an asshole wondering what the hell I was going to do. And now in retrospect too, right? After I found out what was really going on, it was like, are they just messing with me? Like, why was I standing out there with a flag football belt on and a flashlight literally like with my hand up, just like ready to be like, halt, who goes there? To anyone that pulls up, right? Man, with that shark yeah. belt on, dude, with the with the the like white reflective belt that yeah, we had to wear bro, all the time. Like, yeah, yeah Lackland. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna scare those terrorists away. They were gonna see those reflectors and be like, nope. "We're out. <laughs> we don't want smoke." <laughs> Damn, that's so, wild, dude. Interesting. You mentioned the uh, opera singers um, being able to manipulate the audience and put them in a trance. I'm sure there are a lot of videos, like old school videos, where they show. I mean, even it's also depicted in cartoons um, where the opera singer sings at a low tone, gradually goes up to a tone that breaks glass, right? Right. Yeah. You, they can resonate with uh, crystal. It has to be, I don't think you can do it with glass, but if you do it with real crystal, you can resonate at a certain frequency and they can make it shatter. Crazy. And that goes into, you know, 
some would say acoustic technology to make things levitate, you know? And I mean, I think it's true. I think that there's a lot of power to sound. And uh, another one of my favorite conspiracy quotes again on JFK, I think this is from a Peter Lavenda series, but it starts out with, uh, was the JFK assassination a particle or a wave? Uh, but the reason I, I bring that up is because I've I've heard that like a frequency that once it either stabilizes or it just maintains such consistency that it itself can kind of resemble a particle. So so frequencies can turn into particles, and our definition of them is just based on how you're basically measuring it at that time. So with frequency almost being a potential underlying fabric of everything. It's no surprise that it can use to entrance the brain, can use to uh, alter physical things. It can maybe even change the laws of physics in some regards. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen the videos. I mean, I still feel like I'm more skeptic than anything else. So when I see the rocks like floating on top of another rock, I assume that like someone drilled that out and they put like a big magnet in it. And if you were to go up there and like push it off, you would you maybe see what's going on behind the scenes because I. I also think if that was really possible, you'd have some crazy rich millionaire like Elon Musk would just have a floating house, right? Just because <laughs> of how cool the the concept would be. Yeah, I mean, let's play let's play devil's advocate. Why wouldn't they want that out, right? I feel like then the jig is up, right? Because that also I love how once you're kind of well versed in different fields of conspiracy, you can kind of see how they connect, right? Um, and I attribute that attribute that to researching different religions, researching different languages. You know, after you learn so much, you see that hey, it's it's all patterns. It's all the same, right? Well, it's, uh, the best uh, description I've had. Shout to my my friend Tristan Irwin, but he said that the reason why so many cultures and religions and and like just governments tend to sort of take these same forms and you see these archetypes that just present themselves over and over, right? Like the virgin mm -hmm. birth. If you want to do the religion thing, the virgin yeah. birth and um, the resurrection and the, the connection with like threes. But the thing that we all have in common is our brain and the way that our brain is constructed and the limitations of that. So if you really wanted to say like, what's the, the common thread between all these cultures across these time periods Maybe it's just the way that our brain is created. It, it has a propensity to like make up these very specific archetypes. And it, it mm -hmm. like some people say it's egregores, right? Like maybe people rehearsing these same rituals over thousands of years creates like an actual entity out there. And that's the thing causing it. Or maybe it's just that we're all genetically and organically created to make sense of things in the same way the same way that we all kind of breathe the same and the same way we all digest the same. Would it be that shocking that we also kind of use the organ of our brain in a very similar way, even though we think we're so different from each other? Right. I love that because the organ, the brain, and I mean, we spoke about this on the last podcast, actually. Um, some people don't like the fact that we give credit to the aliens or other dimension entities for human advancements, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They said, oh, imagine, imagine working all your life to come up with some kind of invention and some conspiracy theorist is like, oh no, it came from an alien. And then all of a sudden it's eclipsed by your work, right? And I said, it's not that. I think it's the fact that you understand that humans are able to kind of, you know, 
transmute and 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 almost pick up transmissions from other dimensions some would say you know the imagination realm is a different dimension where you're you're picking up different ideas from from them right some of them are gifts some of them are kind of curses but they they help you avoid things but yeah the fact that humans can kind of pick that up in a subtle way it's almost like how dogs can hear things that we don't hear right there's certain things in the frequency chart that we can't objectively map out but you know like your intuition certain feelings you know what i mean how can you objectively map that out as far as like a guide for you, you know An- what I mean? Another good one too are like those cats that'll like go and sit at the end of a bed and oh yeah, home. That's trippy, man. Like that one. That's one of those things where <laughs> even if if you start getting into like an atheist or like purely scientific mindset, and it's like, at least for me, I'm always like, how do those cats know when grandma's <laughs> gonna die? Like three or four days ahead of time. Like maybe it's a certain smell that they give <laughs> off. Who knows? But if that were the case. I really do feel like scientists would be on that. Like they did the whole 21 grams thing where they were like letting people die in like a vacuum and weighing them and stuff. So if there was, if there was something that we could measure that would get us closer to predicting death, I feel like we would, but so what is it that animals can do that we can't, that stuff blows my mind. Right. Um, Why I mentioned uh, the fact that humans and animals, they can kind of sense different, different frequencies is the fact that you know we were talking about how how come elon musk doesn't have just like a floating device and how come they're not openly using this i feel like that would kind of expose the way they use frequencies because even like music right and and different transmission from the tv i feel like those silver blank screens emit a certain kind of feeling uh subtly and you know what i mean we talking about we were talking about in the previous podcast 440 hertz and you know 432 hertz how that affected some people in the montauk project i think it was the the main the main uh subject right he was they blocked his psychic abilities at at 440 hertz or something 440 430 i forget um so could they know that and so they're using that subtly through radios, through phones, through blue Bluetooth, through Wi-Fi, through 5G to kind of suppress us and make us, you know, it's like an advanced form of MK Ultra. We're like, we, you know, I want to get into sigils and advanced sigils and cartoons and comics and stuff, but do they not need that anymore because of these waves? You know what I'm saying? Well, the 440 versus 432 is an interesting one just because that that's steeped in conspiracy. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the Germans, like in World War II, they were really on favor of of 432, I believe. And then there's a guy, LaRoche, uh, Lyndon LaRoche, or LaRouche. He was a pretty big, cons- like, it was weird. He started out as a communist, and then he switched over and became, like, a hardcore conservative. This is, like, the 70s or 80s. And he also, I think he's the last one that made a global effort to try and switch everyone back to the 432 hertz standard. But the, the issue here was that they were you had these bands that would travel out in Europe or they'd go to America. And as soon as they would show up and do a theater, they would have to start tuning um, all of their gear to whatever the rest of the, the music equipment or, or like that particular town's orchestra was tuned to. So mm-hmm. it would also really hurt the, the opera singers because they might show up to one venue and have to sing in one uh, particular tone and then go to another one, you know, like the uh-huh. next week and have to like retune their voices essentially 
And what 440 is, is it's very convenient for mathematics and for like synthesizers and stuff. Um, and it's, and it's convenient to like tune to, but it's not, it's not friendly organically. And then you can get into the all cymatics and you see the patterns where like 440 is like just a, a big disheveled mess. And then 432 has like this nice kind of um, like symmetrical pattern. It's kind of pleasing to look at. That's mm-hmm. also happening inside your throat. So at 440, yeah. if you're if you keep that particular tone, uh, and you're an opera singer, imagine that horrible, that like spiky, jaggy, you know, image of the cymatics of 440. That's how your throat is like vibrating as you're making that sound versus okay. the 432. So on a whole, opera singers were all in favor of 432. Uh, but people that tune instruments didn't really care one way or the other. And again, the math is a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient. So that that's like one of the practical reasons why I went to 440. But it's also a really interesting aspect on how it's almost like it grates at, you know, organic matter. Like it's, it's almost like, you know, not organic or not natural, even though it was just any other frequency. It's just how we measured it. That particular mm-hmm. one had... Uh, opera singers like it makes their voices get sore much quicker so it's it's weird how it's almost like attacks you right and how this connects with everything is and if you want to look up research is, isn't it dr emoto and how certain words kind of affect how how water molecules i think that one's bs man i think you, that, you think that, so oh big time yeah because that's one <laughs> of those things that i saw and it's like man, if that's true, that changes everything. Like if I can just go and like that literally means that if I just say a word, then that changes the physical space. I remember seeing it in the secret or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, what the bleep did they know might've been the movie it was in. Yeah. And that one got bashed. <laughs> well, I looked more into it because I was I like, I wanted to believe that that would have rocked my whole world. But it turns out that all they did, was froze a bunch of water while different people were thinking of stuff. And then afterwards they looked and saw what the crystals looked like and then matched up. Oh, this one looks like hearts. So this probably was when someone was talking about love, but this one doesn't mm. have like a nice pattern. So that must be hate, but it, it wasn't actually like they knew the person was thinking hate in front of one water and that turned it that way. So he, they got to kind of cherry pick and curate exactly which ones they wanted to match with the other ones. Wow. First, first time I've ever heard that, man. That's good I, to know. Sorry, I don't. Sometimes no, when you dig know. in the conspiracy theories beyond surface level, they become a little bit less fun just because at oh, the yeah. surface level, like they're sh- that people are shape shifting into reptilians and they're firing <laughs> lasers and they got like, you know, they can go over the Arctic wall and there's infinite land out there. But once you actually have to break it all down, it just, it gets less like frivolous which makes some people lose interest but to me it, it makes it more interesting because then it's mm-hmm. like I, I guess i'm one of those people that's like don't take away credit from people and give it to aliens you know what i mean because yeah, yeah people are interesting the human condition is interesting yeah right definitely yeah um well another objective research you can see is the semantics right like the sand and different frequency in the sand plate like that does affect different patterns you know some of them are symmetric some of them are kind of chaotic Mm -hmm. but you know let's stay down this rabbit hole of mind control so also from the paranoia radio podcast we found out that you also used to work for disney an animator there 
yeah for for 10 years i started as like graphic designer and then over those 10 years i ended up becoming like a interactive um creative director where we did like video games animations We, we worked on movies we worked on all kinds of anything that you would imagine happens on a back lot of disney i pretty much worked on them so so why are you doing all the subliminal messages man (laughs) <laughs> i want to i want to know i want to know are you alex jones because it seems like you infiltrated the army during 9-11 you worked at disney and now you're kind of coming out with the paranoid american did you kind of get in to get your intel and now you come out with your brand i mean i wish i could take credit it was really just a bunch of mishaps and honestly aliens. Well, fresh out of the military i didn't know what i wanted to do i i got Amen. out and I started working at a at a recording studio but i didn't like the okay. lifestyle mm-hmm. interesting was uh did you just kind of stumble upon disney or was that a goal because that's if you're, if you're a very graphic designer stumbled working... upon it man dude i, I didn't oh, even really? know it was disney when i when i applied because th- this is the weirdest thing but i was just checking like my my spam mail one day and I saw some random message that was marked as spam and, and was going to be deleted. And it was a job offer, but it was for some place called like Integrity Arts and Design. Like it didn't sound anything like Disney. And mm. I applied. And then when they told me to come in, that's when I realized it was on Disney property. And then when I actually went into the, the job for the first interview, had to go through the security gate. And it was right there in the animation building, like a walk away from, you know, Tower of Terror. It was on the... uh they, they, it used to be called the MGM Studios back lot, and then I think they turned it to the Hollywood Studios back lot, and now it's basically where Star Wars rides are at in Orlando. Uh, but but I didn't even know it was a Disney job until the first time that I actually showed up to do the interview. And obviously, once I I got that far into it, like I wanted the job really bad because yeah, uh, just being able to work like across the the street from like a roller coaster. I don't know, it was it was cool. Definitely. That is pretty cool. And I mean, we grew up, we grew up watching Disney. So that's kind of ingrained in our childhood and I'm sure passed down to our children. Uh, what did you like growing up as, as a, as a kid? Did you, did you watch Disney as a kid growing up? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was always bigger into like Nickelodeon uh, and like Simpsons was, was definitely my jam. But like the classic Disney ones was uh, Fox and the Hound, Robin Hood, oh, wow. I think was, I think Robin Hood was my all-time favorite. And then like Sword in the Stone. Those were kind of like my go-tos. I wasn't really, because then they had the Disney Renaissance and that's when they had like Beauty and the Beast and um, uh, Little Mermaid and Aladdin. And mm-hmm. those were kind of cool. But I think by the time Aladdin came out, I was already like, kind of interested in conspiracy theories and like you know maybe like slightly more adult stuff than just aladdin Mm. yeah i mean around there there were some kind of weird um disney movies coming around around that time you know so it wasn't all the way new i feel like was it the toad and and uh the headless horseman that's i mean that's real old man that's before i was even (laughs) born but you're, you're talking about uh the Adventures of Mr. Toad, which was paired yes. with the tale of Ichabod Crane, uh, which is a headless horseman story. But that was that was a weird pairing, man. They put these like two completely unrelated movies <laughs> together just to make a feature <laughs> out of it. No, yeah, I, I was Cash in, uh, like a few months ago, and you know, that was one of the rides where there were no lines. So we're like, you know, let's go fucking there. Obviously, 
possibly under the influence of something, a fun, you know, <laughs> fun guy. <laughs> and we we're like, what the fuck did we just r- go on? You know what I mean? <laughs> What's yeah, those those rides are pretty creepy, man. Like the when you go to where, where is it? Where the like those old school rides like Peter Pan and um, I I remember they um, for Snow White they had to make it less scary. You guys know that? Remember yep. how? Um, the the witch was scaring all the little kids and even as a kid i remember that was that was one part i was did not want to ride through so it's just crazy how like just the subliminal messages i guess that's why i was asking you like um when it comes to the animation obviously you have all these people claiming like oh disney's sneaking this in as your history working on it is that what's going what, what would you have to say for that because people are saying oh look there's always sex written somewhere like in lion king it's in the sky or in it's just written out in random like disney movies so what goes in the process of people finding this or is is there any truth to what people are discovering in this yeah i mean i've done deep dives on this one a number uh-huh. of times i've got a uh, another yeah. show called the cult disney where we watch all the original uh, animations and i think we're up to like the 90s right now nice. but the biggest one so the biggest examples that i can think of is the rescuers has a scene where they're flying down and in one of the naked lady backgrounds the naked lady that one's legit um however it's it's weird man so the the, like i'm like without getting too lost in the sauce on this one Mm -hmm. that was apparently found in a laser disc release and if you even had it on laser disc you wouldn't have been able to find it because it was out of frame that would have basically been skipped over because it was playing back at like 30 frames a second or something Um, so so it was it was like hidden in a frame that you wouldn't have seen but it was in there and it came likely from the theatrical release where it was actually in like a frame almost like the the fight club right where you just see like a dick out of nowhere and it goes and you wonder Uh, if you saw it that's probably (laughs) how the audience saw it in the theatrical release but disney claims that it was never in the theatrical release it wasn't on the film and they blamed it on whoever they gave the rights to to basically um, reproduce it for um, yeah. Laserdisc. So they oh. claimed that it was like the distributor and no one related to Disney and no one related to Laserdisc, but like a, a third party distributor. And they took the time to go and like insert like three or four frames of this naked lady. Um, that's the official story. But the real story is that it absolutely was in the movie. It's hard to tell if it was in a theatrical release or not because if disney uh-huh. owns all the original reels and they lie how would you know right <laughs> yeah makes sense but that that's feel- the that's the most real one out of it sorry mm-hmm. go ahead no sorry um i was like do you feel this is more of just artists doing gags or is there something more behind yeah. it just people with a more let's say like a darker intention with it. i i remember kind of digging into it before and just saying you know maybe these guys just have a weird sense of humor and think it's funny to just slip this in um but what what do you think of that i mean it's a little bit of that Uh the the other part of it too think about consider this dynamic that a lot of the guys that were working on those uh movies especially in like the 40s and 50s right we're we're talking about some of the real classic ones and even to the later ones a lot of those guys got drafted in the world war ii saw combat killed people saw their friends killed and then came back and finished working on Disney movies that they had already been working on. Like so many of Disney movies were started in like the thirties and forties and fifties, and uh-huh. then just never got finished until the sixties, seventies and eighties. 
Like there's there's some that got started in the 30s and got released in like the 60s, right? So you've <laughs> got these guys that are working on this, and in addition to them, you know, seeing combat and and living through some really hard times, uh, when they weren't working at Disney, they were pretty much drawn like pinups or doing you know like other right. sorts of artistic endeavors at the time, and a lot of that probably would have been way more adult than Disney. Like Disney and cartoons were catering for children in a very new way that no one was before in, in mm-hmm. such a very direct way so a lot of those artists like if they weren't drawing snow white they were drawing like you know snow like, a, like a betty palmer on, <laughs> on front of a plane or something yeah that makes sense they had a propensity to be drawn the female figure uh it's a very common thing for artists to, to just be drawing especially if you're getting into uh, character expressions and character art a lot of them just kind of specialize in drawing female figures so that's one aspect of it the other one is the the sex which is the lion king that one's uh-huh. been explained away that it actually spelled sfx which stood for the new special effects department which started working on that lion king one maybe <laughs> i mean <laughs> but that even Let's Even if it sells <laughs> out, like how bad is that? That's not that's not like a naked lady in a window bad, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, or like, like even the the uh, boner in Little Mermaid too. That one uh, was <laughs> was one that I I had read up on, and uh, you know, was that is that something that was one of those like frame things, or or was it just something yeah, that was like, like that a one, weird? That one's there. Dude. I feel like that's a real before one. Thomas. Before you get started, because I just listened to that one episode where you went deep <laughs> into Little Mermaid. Yeah. All right, are we all in agreement that there's some kind of universal body that tries to control the narrative? And tries to control media. Maybe I I think there's a there was definitely a desire for someone, whether that be an entity, a group of people, to to want to try and do that because um, then you get a chance to to control how people feel, think, and view certain things in the way that you want them to see them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like the desire to have that kind of power, I absolutely think is something that's out there for sure. Now, whether or not that's executed purposefully or or you know or correctly. Um, I guess is where the debate lies. Mm-hmm. I think it's like an NFL almost. Like, uh, I mean, some people <laughs> think the, all the NFLs rigged too, but yeah. it's like <laughs> there's definitely teams out there, and they're definitely doing draft picks, and and they want to win the Super Bowl, or in in this case, like they want to rule the world or they want to own culture. But it's not like they're all working in unison for it because they know that you know not everyone gets to win and share it. Like that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely say this too about sports and like media rights because now that's not all the rage is like there's definitely teams that get favored because um, the fan bases yeah, are larger. Right. They're going to mm-hmm. bring in the, mem- the the money and the, the ratings and the revenue. So like everyone's going to get a big share of that pot. So that's something where more, I'm more inclined to believe that um, it benefits the larger whole if like the Cowboys, you know, win or if, you know, the Steelers or the Niners because you get like I said, more people involved, more people are going to be able to put in like the public, like us put into these games. And then it feeds the fat cats up top. Right. I mean, I think that's definitely true. Um, I just think how well they executed it is, you know, it depends on if they win or not. So like it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So. Mm-hmm. All right. How about, how about this? Do you think, do we all agree that Disney kind of use, um, abuses that power of having almost like a monopoly on media 
Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. To to not only and when I mean abuse the power, they almost use it in a perverted way, right? Not yeah. even to like sell products, but to kind of manipulate behavior and and you know make some some social uh, situations more normalized that yeah, wouldn't I, really be you know acceptable. But wouldn't that fall more under like the marketing team because the marketing team's job is to do that? So yeah, Disney. But they employ that marketing team and their whole idea is to manipulate the fan base and get them get their emotions involved into something and invested in it. That's I think the gist of yeah, marketing just plays on everyone's emotions. It's not like trying to sell you a product, like, well, how can we affect this person to be drawn to it? You know. So definitely I feel there's powers in Disney and there's probably a head guy in that marketing department is like, no, we're gonna we're gonna do it like this and put whatever let's let's go back to frequencies we're going to play this song on this commercial and just kind of draw people in and if that makes any sense that's just how i i would see it but maybe like the head of disney doesn't even know what the fuck he's going on he's just employing all these people's like hey i need this <laughs> and people are saying yeah we can do this and they know exactly how to work with people's frequencies and how they react to things emotionally before i bring this back to thomas i just want to make an interesting point about disney obviously Walt Disney had a really close relationship with Werner Werner von Braun, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because it was a way for Werner von Braun to take someone along to kind of, you know, write stories about it, kind of recreate it and animate it, you know, or 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 like use it to make rides and you know what I mean, and, and roller coasters and attractions and stuff. So it was it was more of a you know. Walt Disney was an insider, but like, hey, come come check this out, you know, somehow make a story about it. I, I, my personal belief. Now, that's one thing. The other things that we mentioned, you know, maybe the animators could have slipped it in, like the naked picture, right? And let's right. give Lion King to them. Okay, SFX, cool. You can take that point. Your episode, your breakdown of the Little Mermaid fucking blew my mind, man. Now, as far <laughs> as like subliminal messages in Little Mermaid, take it away, man. Blow our minds right now. <laughs> well, so so the Little Mermaid. First of all, yeah the 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 artwork for the cover and the poster. They had to recall it and redo it because so many people said it looks like dicks. So even if it was a someone dick. wasn't Come intentionally <laughs> making it look like that, it looks so much like that that they had to take corrective action on it. So uh, that's hard to explain away. The, the boner aspect, but the real, like, the crazy part is the real story behind The Little Mermaid. Because The Little Mermaid, when you watch the Disney version, they don't really represent it the same way that the, the original story was written after. The original story is that she doesn't have a soul, and she's uh -huh. she's this, like, soulless being. And she knows that when she dies, that she just kind of, like, turns into fish food, and that's it. That's the end of her. But that these humans that are out on land they get to have these souls and they get to go back up to heaven and maybe come back down. They have this like full recycle of life. And that's really what the little mermaid is after. The little mermaid is after trying to get this human soul and she's going to do anything she can get to kind of get at it. And part of that is, you know, tr she trades her voice in the, the cartoon movie mm -hmm. and in the Disney movie, they almost treat that her voice was her soul but that's not really how it happened in the original uh, books either. And then also in the original book, it's kind of about like this, this young woman, uh, you know, 
being set forth onto the rest of the world and feeling like uncomfortable about, about it and her body's going through changes um and like her mm-hmm. vo- you know her voice is changing and a lot of this was just kind of like uh messages on you know how to venture out into the world as like a young girl that's going to get matched up with an older guy so there was all these older kind of archetypes and older cultural points that got massaged into this. Like the same thing with Beauty and the Beast is a really good example. Beauty and the Beast <laughs> is really a story about a 13-year-old girl that's getting arranged marriage to like some 40 or you know, like a 40-year-old dude that's all hairy and nasty and doesn't like <laughs> bathe or anything, right? But, but she has to money. learn to accept the beast for who he is and love the man inside. And really it just comes down to that was happening to to girls nonstop and in, in the you know even as up until like the 18th century it was still common enough that it became a moral tale like the first version of beauty and the beast was about a, a woman retelling her own personal experience where she had an arranged marriage to a guy that she didn't like but then it got rewritten after she died by another lady and that lady wrote it as like a moral tale to like this is how to please your your man like you need to cook for him you need to clean for him you need to dance you know you need to like keep him entertained even if he's a beast to you. So again, like when you start peeling back the layers on what these original Disney stories are based on, it's way darker than someone sneaking in the word sex or putting a booby in here and there, you know, like (laughs) if you break apart beauty and the beast and it's like, just accept that you're going to be, you know, sex trafficked off to an older male and just deal with it. That's life. That's way freaking darker. I would rather not show my kid the plot of Beauty and the Beast than rescuers. They they might see a booby. All right. Yeah. I, got, I, mean, I got a question. Go so that that kind of brings you brought up two movies right there with Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast about how you know the darker images or the you know stories actually took place. That is something that my wife uh, was always bringing up when we talk about Disney movies and about how there's never like that mother figure in these movies it's always like a daughter and a dad like yep does that is is that like a bigger thematic thing that that yeah, disney yeah. does on purpose that's you so everyone always jokes about like the bambi uh, aspect where it's like oh it's a disney movie they're gonna they're gonna kill your parents uh in the first 10 minutes well first of all they don't they don't actually kill bambi's mom in the first 10 minutes but there's this theory that i've been developing that first it was kind of like a an homage to that concept of bambi but man, it has actually taken form. And now I'm like, I'm I'm full gas on this thing that I'm calling the Disney proxy. And the Disney proxy basically states that whatever the conventional authority figure would be to someone watching a Disney movie, right? So it's going to be your per- parental guardian, your mom, your dad, like an older sister or brother or something. Some Someone that's older and has authority is kind of your reference point as a child watching, you know, this Disney movie on TV. So what the Disney movies do consistently, every single movie since the very first one we started watching, maybe with the exception of Fantasia and Victory of Air Power, because those are outside the norm, but they always will have you kidnapped um, or the, the authority figure will die or you'll get lost. But there's basically a separation from you, the viewer, and the, the person you're identifying with, the protagonist. And then their authority figure, their authority figure always is out of the picture almost immediately. And Mm -hmm. the very first thing that you see is going to be some intellectual property of Disney. And it's going to be like a little dancing teacup or a rabbit or just fill in the blank, right? It's going to be Sebastian the crab. Um, It's going to be one of these things. 
and that is going to be basically like you can trust it if like that's going to what's going to be the thing that you can follow it's going to protect you and then later when you're out shopping with mom and you see it on like a t-shirt or you see it as a toy like you're going to look at that and and kind of relate that's an authority figure or that right. thing has more authority than mom or dad because as i was watching this disney movie right they identify as the protagonist and mom and dad lose them in the movie but they're thinking oh, this means parents and authority figures can just lose you. But if I find this magical sidekick, like they'll always be with me. And I think that that just perpetuates. And is that like, I feel like that's more nefarious again than showing the word sex or saying teenagers take off your clothes in 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 a muddy way for like half a second versus they're training your children to not look at you as the authority figure, but to look at like the, the McDonald's happy meal toy that's the authority figure like if th- if that thing told them that they didn't have to clean up your room and you did like you could see someone like well sebastian said i don't have to you know like they actually <laughs> do have that kind of authority and that's i think crazy, at a certain bro. point the writers kind of know that and then they can start really doing it intentionally i think at first it was just like oh wow <laughs> you know like kids trust movies more than their parents and now it's like they know that going in and they exploit it more yeah. That's what you used to freak me out about Pinocchio, dude. But Pinocchio, Pinocchio used to freak me out. Hell yeah. That's yeah. a sk- dude, that's Close the scariest movie in my Isn't opinion. That weird? You get- You're talking about uh, Aladdin? Treasure, Treasure <laughs> Island. Every movie. Pleasure <laughs> Island with the kids. Like, You're talking about Pleasure Island, yeah. <laughs> no mom. Mom dies. Pleasure Island, yeah. And one's the <laughs> weird. Was Land Before Time Disney? I don't think so, right? No. no. That, was, no. that was, I think, Don Bluth right after he left Disney after working on... Uh, the Dark Cauldron. Wow, this that's fucking crazy. I never saw that aspect of it. It's deep and dude, kind of blasphemous, <laughs> right? Because I mean, we're we're in California. You're you're in Florida, right, mm-hmm. Thomas? You got Disney World. We got Disneyland. I don't know how it is over there, but over here, parents buy the pass, and their pastime is just chilling in Disneyland. Yeah, you know. I mean, here I think it's like fifteen hundred dollars now for an annual pass, and you'll Worth see it. <laughs> like a whole family <laughs> with all the stickers that says like annual pass for the last you know however many right. years. Right, magic keys. Yeah, yeah. Three, three, three club or the thirty-three club. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean that that's only really a West Coast thing. I mean they, oh, they yeah. have they have the same club on the on the East Coast, but on the West Coast. This is what I've heard. I mean, maybe this was all BS, but that they didn't allow alcohol in the parks. If you were part of 33 Club, that was one of the few places you could like cut into like a secret door would be like, you know, on the side of an attraction. Little speaking. You, you could go in there and you could get drunk, basically. Wow. Nice. <laughs> That's but in Orlando, you could always drink in, in some of the parks. So it was never like a thing. You could just go and get a turkey leg and a beer and call it a day. Speaking of Orlando, well, we I went to a Disney World a couple years ago, well, a few years ago, and um, I made it my goal at the, the Epcot Center just to have a beer in every country. I walked out schmacked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny just walking into the tram, into the bus, or like on the way back to the hotel, and all the dads are just shit faced. <laughs> it's fun. I, I like I like Disney stuff, and as as weird and you know like the occult i guess you could say of disney is it's it's enjoyable i don't know i i have fun with it but i think it, it pays to at least be aware of what what's going on behind it so you can enjoy responsibly i guess you could say you ever look into the background of epcot and like what epcot stands for no 
I think it's the um, Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that's what it stands for. Something very close no to way. it. So yeah. Epcot was was Walt's version of what I guess now everyone's calling a 15-minute city. But basically, uh-huh. Epcot, imagine that the park itself, all of Epcot, just like it's got like little Italy and little China, and little, you know, you can go through the whole country. Anything you want to do, you can do in this like little 15 minute bubble where you can get anywhere to anywhere else. But uh-huh. he wasn't thinking about Epcot as a theme park. He wanted to make mm-hmm. Epcot as an actual place that people worked and lived. Um, and it was going to be totally experimental, just as the name says, experimental uh, community. It wasn't going to be like you buy a ticket and go in. You'd have to be approved to go there. And then if anything happened to you, like if you retired, you'd have to move out. If you got injured and couldn't work, you'd have to move out. So it was almost like a little socialist, communist bubble. Like you would work for Disney um, and you would have to like live as Disney inside of this little Disney sphere where everything could cater to you and you would never have a reason to leave that. Uh, now, after he died, they clearly didn't follow through on what he had envisioned. They turned it into part of the theme park. But if, like, let's say that he was, you know, he could live to be like 200 or 300. He really wanted Epcot to be like an experimental community, like a like a true social experiment. Yo, some say he's crying, cryogenically frozen, right? Yeah, although <laughs> if you if you read up on the latest cryogenics, like people that really believe in it. The mm. biggest thing right now is what they call a first in, last out, which means that, like, if I get myself frozen today, right? Like, if, if I know I'm going to die, I get myself cryogenically frozen, and they find a way to thaw people out and fix whatever was wrong with me in a year, I'm the first one out because I've been frozen the least amount of time, so I've got the <laughs> least amount of damage to my my tissue, right? So there's oh, a better wow. chance that I can actually be like like resuscitated but for walt he's been frozen for so damn long that not only would they know how to have to thaw you out they also have to figure out how to deal with all the tissue damage that's occurred especially since they started freezing him like if this is even true right back in like the 70s so so in order to to bring someone back to life that's been frozen for over half a century it might not be as easy as someone that was frozen recently so so long story short walt's gonna probably be waiting a really really long time to get thought out i mean or he got in too early <laughs> he could be I, I, it's not far out too because disney has a lot of animatronics and if you uh, in california bro our animatronics suck bro like i think star wars has the best but i mean they're fucking droids you know what i mean it's new yeah. Ky- kylo ren is draped up in in a mask and, and cl- like cloth so there's not much to make it look like Kylo Ren. Yeah, but, Orlando's yeah. got the Imagineers too, which is like the, mm. that's where like all the cool animatronics come from. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think in China, bro, right? Like their Disneyland is advanced compared to ours. Like they're yeah, using, awesome. yeah, they're using top notch technology over there. If you guys want to look up like even Pirates of the Caribbean in China, that shit is lit compared to art Pirates of the Caribbean. But it's not far out there because like I said, uh now we're gonna get into black magic alchemy and all that but i want to get into comics too before that so let me try to segue this all in um it's not far out there to think that since werner von braun and the nazis were really involved with the Vril society right and and walt disney being you know the person who was in there to kind of i I would like to say he's who tom DeLong thinks he is you know what i'm saying like tom DeLong thinks he's like the 
the informant <laughs> for the government, the chosen one to put out the alien stuff, you know, but I don't really think so. But I think Walt Disney, since he had that relationship with Werner von Braun, that was kind of the thing like, hey, let's tell the story in a in a subtle animated way for the family to, you know, accept and take in. Um, he made uh, Walt Disney or not Walt Disney, Disney came out with Soul, right? That I don't know if you guys saw that movie. That movie was mm-hmm. pretty fucking crazy, pretty good too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. put a lot of ideas out there to kind of visually mm-hmm. teach people what those concepts are, right? Yeah. Am I crazy to think that maybe instead of thawing out Walt Disney, he could be just transferring his consciousness into an animatronic? <laughs> maybe I, I don't know if anyone in the company wants Walt back though man Walt, Walt, would, Walt would be very problematic in 2023 <laughs> that's funny that's a very good point yeah his well, brain would be stuck back then too speaking like, of uh, he wasn't easy to work with either from what I hear he was like a very very difficult person to work for uh, I believe it well <laughs> But yeah, Soul was crazy. I saw fucking um, Inside Out with the moods and stuff. Like, yeah, putting some uh, occult knowledge out there. Uh, Did you see that the new Pinocchio with Tom Hanks? Yeah, it's weird. Is that <laughs> weird, action? man? It's, uh, it, so there's it's another conspiracy. There's a, a Disney conspiracy theory that I can be sold on, uh-huh. but that they they make these live action remakes, but they do it knowing it's going to be inferior. Because then everyone has a reason to go back and watch the originals again. So even if the live action remake is a bomb, then it still spikes all the Disney, you know, live or, or like the Disney Channel subscriptions where someone's like, I could have sworn that the original Lion King was better. Oh, wow. It just came out of the vault. I'm going to go buy a copy. Oh, wow. It just happens to be coincidentally streaming mm-hmm. on the <laughs> Disney Channel. I better sign up and get it so we can watch it again to compare. So I feel like. They, they can just keep tapping back into this. I mean, they, they can right. remake Lion King 20 times and it will <laughs> still cause people to go back and watch the first one. Straight up. I mean, there's a fucking That's play, bro. People are seeing that shit like fucking by the week, you know? <laughs> it's my new um, favorite Disney conspiracy for sure. Yeah. I like that. that I mean, there's sense, there's but... a money incentive, so it makes it really mm-hmm. easy to, Absolutely. to believe. Yep. Well, now... Disney kind of absorbed Marvel, right? Which is crazy because, I mean, I, I'm a Marvel and Star Wars fan. So, you know, knowing this side of Disney, it's almost like, and, and seeing the p- projects coming out right now, it, it's it's not, the quality I feel like has dropped. I, I know the MCU hasn't really been going to the comic source and kind of they're trying to do their own thing. You know what I mean? But there's certain things that, ring true from the comic source into the movies but um would you say other than dr strange you're kind of seeing the same thing happening with the marvel movies now under disney kind of although i remember when the first marvel movie or the first x-men movie came out and uh i didn't think it was that great and that was before disney had their hands on it mm-hmm. so it I've got mixed feelings on it because as a as a kid reading X-Men and Marvel almost exclusively, I would have liked nothing more than to to know that that was what's what movies were going to be coming out for years. Um, maybe not under the hand of Disney, but whatever. It's it's cool that there's so many comic book movies. I know a lot of people get fatigued from it, but you could just mm-hmm. not watch all those comic movies. 
like I remember the original Punisher movie, which was horrible. And like, <laughs> like the, even the original Batman series, like, yeah, okay. It was, it was kind of like cheesy and fun, but like when the, that first Michael Keaton Batman movie came out, that was the first time that it was like, Oh wow. Like, you know, like a comic book movie can actually be legit. And then X-Men was kind of cool. Um, but, but once Disney started pumping those Disney dollars into it, I don't know if I feel like there's, there's so much good and bad to it. Good that I'd rather be seeing them spend all the money on the cool special effects for like, like properties that I actually have nostalgia for, but that's mm-hmm. what Disney does, right? They, they find out yeah, what people yeah, exactly. already have programmed themselves with and they just buy that thing. And now they kind of, you know, own nostalgia. They've got a freaking, uh, a monopoly on nostalgia, at least in America for sure. Dude, Disney's gonna own fucking everything. How I see it, it's just they're gonna buy everything they want. Any anything, like you said, that they feel like they can capitalize on later on, they're gonna buy it. I feel like they might buy. Who knows? Even when they got Marvel, they could buy. They could be like, fuck it, we'll take DC and fix it, and people will be all yeah. over us again. Well, did you know that uh, Disney, in a technicality, gets money when the ICP album "Great Malenko" gets sold? Because at that moment in time, they had, or, or or for a moment in time when they owned, I think the the record label that owned them, but that, but there's it, it's it's interesting too because the Great Malenko has like a lot of pop culture references. Even the cover kind of has like this very high quality like Disney esque sort of illustration to it compared to some of the more like rougher graphic design that they had. Uh, but but I mean, it just goes to show like Disney will also take money from anyone they want, you know, Warner Von Braun yeah. <laughs> or ICP, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Do you feel yeah, like I mean, ESPN too, right? Disney, Disney's got their yeah. hands on ESPN. Yeah, yep. ESPN is theirs. That's why when you sign up for Disney Plus, you get ESPN Plus. <laughs> yep, and Hulu. Hulu yeah, too. it's crazy how much. But I feel like Disney has shifted their focus. It's not really towards kids. It's towards us you know the kids they say it's towards kids though but come on now bro you know what i mean because (laughs) all the stuff that i sometimes i get more excited when disney drops something and my kids like oh that's cool and i'm like dude what are you talking about i remember like you guys were talking about (laughs) earlier the the lion king remake i was like what the hell why are they doing a remake and i sat down my kids like let's watch original (laughs) yeah man it's like what you said so like i i think disney's you know they they make it where it's kid friendly, but it's geared towards us, so we can bring the kids in it. I guess, um, yeah. And the I guess. Kids and then the kids watch the shows, right? Yeah, and then boom, you know they're looking up, and they grow up, and they buy the magic keys, and they yeah. still put in money for them, and like that, like that's why where that second renaissance came in. Like we're all getting older now because we're all a part of it, and and shoot, there's. You know, all those, all of the people I, or a lot of people I know have uh, magic key passes and it's like, they're just not going to stop feeding the Disney mm-hmm. because it's so ingrained into their upbringing. Super smart. Yo, I mean, like, why are you buying Marvel if you're towards the kids? Like, go buy Fortnite or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> dude, you know, you're pulling at our heartstrings. <laughs> yeah. Nostalgia <laughs> game hard. <laughs> yep. it's, Remember it's a Barry's. weird landscape for them because like when we were growing up, um, or at least when I was growing up, like a Disney movie might be your babysitter, right? Like your parents could True. put that, that yeah. two hour Disney movie on and kind of like leave you to your own devices for a little while. And that would raise you. But now I, I don't know if it, if it works the same, like if you could just put 
like two or three Disney movies back to back and have a kid entertained, or if they just want to watch like quick YouTube clips or so, or something, That's you know what that. I mean? Like there, there's a much different competition going on for their attention now, which also helps that Disney's like, you know, now they own um, part of Marvel and, and comic books and star Wars. Like, yeah, I think they are marketing it towards the parents, but the second the parent is like, Hey kids, we're going to go watch Star Wars because I like Star Wars when I was a kid. Well, guess what, man? Like now your kids <laughs> love Star Wars and, yeah. and you've helped embed that. Cause now it's not just, this was this thing that I saw when I was younger and now I've got nostalgia for it. Now it's like, that was that movie dad took me to. And I love that. And he's gone now. <laughs> Spot on bro. Star Wars. And now I'm going to take You're my right to Star me. Wars. It's going to turn into like a freaking Thanksgiving, bro. Like, like the May the Fourth is going to be like a national holiday at some point, just because it'll be ubiquitous. <laughs> oh, bro! Definitely. I mean, I mean, think about this situation, right? A dad takes his kid to go fucking watch Peppa Pig, Extreme, whatever, right? That dad's Extreme. gonna sleep, bro. You know what I mean? He'll probably take an edible or sneak the, sneak the AirPods in. You know what I'm saying? Um, Pop a couple zannies, yeah. If the kid, you got Bluey in town, I might do that. If the dad is fucking, hey, let's watch X Men. You know what I mean? That dad is like, you, you know, that's Wolverine. That's Professor X. Yeah. You're, you're, you're part of that active world building. And that experience is kind of, you know, a shared experience in, instead of, oh, Peppa Pig just transformed dad. And dad's like fucking passed yeah. out, drooling. Yeah, so it's it's almost like, you know, uh, if you want to get spiritual, like you're kind of passing that passion on to your kid, right? Through those yeah. archetypes, which are the characters, That's how I view it, yeah. you know what I mean, as Simba and, and Disney's just like sprinkling little trademarks here and there, like oh, yeah. we'll own that, we'll own that, yeah, bro. And I mean, if you've ever yes. been at Disneyland as a kid, or if you've gone with kids, it's a whole ass experience. You know what I mean? Usually, it's a full day. You're seeing these characters. Dad and mom is lighting up because it's the characters that they've grew, grown up and you know watching it and enjoying so there's pictures with these guys and obviously they go home with the the toys yep you just gotta wait till they're 18 have a job and you know you take their money <laughs> mm-hmm. well and just to add one extra layer on top of that from from working uh at disney one of the things that really got me is that like i wasn't allowed to have a beard uh and you weren't mm. even allowed to have like sideburns down to a certain length and long story short, the 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 reason that I finally got told to me after I resisted shaving for like years, hell yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but I had to at a certain point. It was like if you want to keep working here, but it was yeah. explained that if you went to Disney, um, like with your with your parents in the eighties or nineties, right, they would also have the exact same sort of facial hair restrictions that they would today, and the reason they do that is because they want it to look timeless. They want it to look like if you held a picture up with you and your grandparents in the 80s at Disney and then one with you and your kids in 2020 that like the background would almost be identical. Like obviously the picture is going to be different in quality, but the people in the background are going to be timeless. Um mm-hmm. and and that that way it's like it stands out as this surreal place where time doesn't move. And to capture that feeling even on a subconscious level, as you're looking through these photos, it's almost like if I bring my family here, like time stops affecting them. And and that's such a powerful drug Jesus. to sort of imply on yeah. someone. And that was the read. I mean, I'm not just saying that like, this is my woo woo mystical reading into it. <laughs> it was like, this is why you have to shave your beard is because if someone takes a picture and you're in the background 
and they're showing it to someone, they'll be like, oh, wasn't that funny when everyone had that particular hairstyle in the early 2000s? You know, ha ha. They don't, they don't allow that because you need to look like you could have been in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, whenever. Wow. That's interesting. Um, well, shit. I hope no one took pictures during that fucking fight at Disneyland. Did you guys see that shit? There yeah, were, no. There was a guy. Not one? There's, there's so many, man. There's yeah, so there's many. So many. <laughs> there's like recently, right? That never used to be a thing back, back in the day. Because I feel like disneyland or disney world is kind of a simulation right like even the even the workers i remember i got this at the fucking marvel land or whatever but the time you know what was advertised the spider-man animatronic that jumps above you know the marvel land or whatever it wasn't working so i asked one of the workers i was like hey where's this spider-man robot at he's like oh you mean spider-man you know they kind of have to keep the, they got to kind of LARP and keep the, 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 the yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And as a kid, you know, you're watching that. And as a dad, you're not going to be an asshole and be like, oh, the fucking robot. Like, that ain't really Spider-Man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to play a lot with you. But, oh, where's Spider-Man? Oh, he's not coming back. It just, like I said, like, if you're all in with the Disney magic, you know what I mean? You buy into all that where it's like almost like another dimension, you know what I mean? Where you feel timeless, you know what I mean? You feel like time stops, right? You feel like all the problems are all all good. and uh, Like there's no problems out in the world when you're in Disneyland or Disney World, happiest place on earth, right? Yeah, you paid like $300 to be in there. Better feel (laughs) like that. Right, bro. Not I just mean, that. These days, you got to buy like thirty dollar like reservation passes to get to the rides. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's ridiculous now. I remember when it, the Star Wars Land first opened. I remember walking in there, and they were the. I was like, these guys are the most in character people I've ever seen. Because you ask them how much is this, they're like, oh, that's fifty credits. I was like, credits? What dollars? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they're just so they're so invested, and I actually appreciate it. It's it's kind of cool because you feel like an outsider. You're coming in like your actual tourist, and they're like, no, what are you talking about? This this is credits and. Just the food is different. They got this huge, like, I don't know what animal it is, but they have this leg as if it's roasting there, and that's what you're eating. It's it's a cool, immersive uh, place to be. I, I love a LARP. Fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't but, see it all as evil. Like, I, I, I like some of it, right? Like, sometimes yeah. tapping into, like, your childhood programming like mm-hmm. uh, like Ren and Stimpy, right? If you look behind yeah. the guy that did Ren and Stimpy, it, not so great. Like the the guy <laughs> was uh, kind of a slime ball, but yeah. the cartoon man, it doesn't make it not my like one of my favorite yeah. cartoons of all time. It, Th- that's how I feel about Robot Chicken, you know. And well, what's my, the dirt on Robot Chicken? Uh, Seth what's the name? Seth, Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah, yeah, he's a pedophile. I think he was a yeah. He was a <laughs> grooming, right? Yeah, he's a groomer, or he was oh, damn, somehow dude. involved with Epstein. Yeah, and like he's always talking. He likes talking about uh, what's what's that code word like chicken, and it's like code word. The, oh, for uh, yeah, the, from the South Park episode, chicken chicken lover. Yeah, so obviously, <laughs> and then his show is called Robot Chicken, and I was like, what the fuck? And I forgot my mind what chicken right was. I forgot what chicken was code name for, but it referred to like a little kid, like a little mm-hmm. boy or something like that. And I did not put that together until just now. Yeah, and so like, there's a lot of things like Isaac Cappy, who 
came out trying to expose the pedophile elite he was talking about Seth Green. Like I remember he ended one video like, oh, and Seth Green is a pedophile, and he just ended Damn. the video right there. I was like, <laughs> he bailed. The fuck? Yeah. He's the one that started the, the uh, major shade at Tom Hanks, right? Because he was posting yeah. pictures with like a glove, and then Isaac yeah. Cappy was like, hey, Tom Hanks, and then he died, so then people were like, damn, bro, Tom Hanks is in on it. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, you know, everything that happened with him is suspicious, but I also kind of leave a little room for speculation thinking maybe this guy was just off the rails batshit crazy too and just said fuck it i'm gonna kill myself and cause some hysteria but you know we don't know how deep this elite shit goes so it could really be anything and that's kind of like the creepy part about it. I was like was this guy nuts or was he really offed who knows i mean it's it's hard to tell like when when you yeah. make your sole purpose exposing <laughs> powerful rich people <laughs> pedos right yeah, like, you for it. <laughs> you're either gonna go crazy or you're gonna get killed there's no there's yeah really no other way like, no middle ground a, a daytime talk show right you don't get to go on a comedy tour by doing yeah. that so it's a short shelf life yeah dude it's a very short <laughs> so you're, you're, you're two results and either one's gonna happen to you there's no going back <laughs> both bad so the crazy thing is obviously the fact that um Disney is aware of like the occult, right? And it doesn't matter what their past is. I mean, me personally, and I'm sure like Thomas, you and your circle too, it doesn't matter what it is, we're into the occult. So we'll look that shit up regardless. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um the fact that Disney is kind of like a gateway also into that and it ties into that. I feel like it's funny and it's cool too. Like you said about how little mermaid that should blew my mind, how the script's been changed so much to where we got the final product. All these movies, man, like whatever they're really based on hunchback of Notre Dame. That's not how the story played out. Right. Um, I think the main dude was actually the guy who I, I forget what it is. I'm not going to speak on it, but what I do know is even Hercules Hercules was that wasn't Hercules story. Hercules went crazy and killed Meg. And then he had to kind of, you know, correct himself from Zeus in order to regain his godship. So he they got to soften do. a lot of that for the yeah. for the audience. Bro, I think they took a whole nother like story. I think they took Theseus or something, another another uh-huh. deity, and they just plugged his story in and changed it to Hercules. You know what I mean? So well, that's kind of not- Hercules' story himself, right? He just kind of came from previous gods that got attributed to him. Mm-hmm. I think Mel- Melkart from like the Phoenicians ends up becoming Hercules. Uh, it's, what's crazy is now that they picked up Marvel, you know, and I mean, I'm wearing Spider-Man because Spider-Man's my favorite. It's inevitable now with how we're, I don't know if you keep track with Marvel, like we're into the multi-dimension now, multiverse, right? We're into parallel universes. We're into Mandela effects. It's really getting pretty occultish in Marvel, right? We're into Scarlet Witch, right? We're into um, Doctor Strange, you know, with different fucking deities, spells, magic, um, death, mm-hmm. death hold or death, yeah, the death hold or whatever. And you know, leading up to Secret Wars, which is going to bring in Doom, which. Doom is also one of my favorites. He's kind of tied into black magic occult and kind of, you know, tech too. And it's interesting that they're going that route instead of, you know, 
let's just do X-Men. You know what I mean? They're really going down this like Doctor Strange magic route, right? That just tells me that just like what I said, the premise of this conversation was I feel like Disney's kind of like a whistleblower, but making it cut to G-rated stuff, you know what I mean? In order to to make the most revenue out of it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they're putting out breadcrumbs with movies like Soul and, you know, angles and series like the fucking multiverse and stuff and the occult Doctor Strange right. stuff, um, which gets into the occult stuff, right? Um, and an alchemy, which is kind of trying to manipulate and being in touch with a spiritual force, right? Like a life force and being able, being able to manipulate that and use that, right? Um, before I get into that, did, did you... Were you interested in Doctor Strange and, and and all that? Like, I mean, you're interested in the occult and being a comic book fan. Like, I feel like that would be one character that people would gravitate to because he's, I think the 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 character that he ended up becoming, Doctor Strange, the original character was based off Aleister Crowley, is what I looked into, um, which was a uh, Doctor Droom, which is funny because it's like Doom and Strange together. Uh, so did you kind of gravitate towards Doctor Strange or what kind of uh, what kind of uh, I think heroes and comic book characters were you Like Wolverine in? was always my favorite, hands uh-huh. down. Like there wasn't even a competition. It was like Wolverine and uh, Sabretooth and Omega Red. And I mean, oh, it's, it's, okay. I'm kind of describing like like a very specific point in time yeah. when all those guys <laughs> were like the big thing. But that was Cable and Bishop and... Uh, you know, Deadpool before he was, you know, before he was uh, Van Wilder, like the actual Deadpool uh, <laughs> Lobo and stuff. But yeah, like Doctor Strange, I honestly got into more after the movies started coming out because the movies were so damn good. Mm-hmm. Then I became a little bit more interested in Doctor Strange. But it, but if you if you're talking about like the occult comic characters and occult plot lines, those ones far outdate all the sci-fi X-Men mutant stuff like Doctor mm-hmm. Strange definitely predates the the x-men um at least in in like the 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 topic that he goes on they also did a lot of like alien sort of things because comic books themselves came from strange tales and uh um like all all of the older science fiction uh style books mm-hmm. and then like the occult aspect probably came in a great part from like uh hp lovecraft right so hp lovecraft kind of sets the tone for these nefarious and dark and like evil entities uh, and aliens. And that kind of melds with all the science fiction that was coming out at the same time. This is like, even Superman has a lot of occult sort of aspects to it, right? It's this dying planet and everyone's got superpowers only in comparison to the earth. Cause like mm-hmm. Superman wasn't super on his planet, but when he comes to our planet, he's super and that's also a thing that delineates DC from Marvel is that a lot of DC characters, they end up being from like this other world or they've got powers that you can't p- potentially get. But Marvel characters, they tend to have powers that you could potentially get. Like even Doctor Strange, he gets his powers from meditating and, and going through training. Um, and like Wolverine, he gets his from being part of a government project, right? And other other people are maybe born with it, but they're born as humans with flaws. So they're all this like relatable aspect. Again, Disney, they're the ones that are like gods from these other planets and worlds. Um, yeah. So that or DC. So DC, I always felt like had a much more of 
like a mythological occult aspect to it. But then when you look at Marvel, these are like mortal men that are trying to gain these powers of gods, right? Like Doctor Strange isn't a god, but he can kind of have godlike powers. So in that case, I think the Marvel as a whole always attracted me more. Because it just felt like a cheat code, right? It's like, oh, yeah, Superman's here again. He's going to burn people with his laser eyes, and he's going to be super strong, and bullets are going to bounce off of him. Uh, And it was almost like you were just waiting. This like You almost wanted him to get hurt. You know what I mean? Like, what's going to stop this guy? But then you see Marvel, and it's just like human beings going through painful human conditions constantly. Like, every time Wolverine took his claws out like it's cutting open his hands all over again he's got to reheal and it never stops hurting and it never scars over anything um so i I don't know i i love that aspect of it and i feel like there's a a blend between those two where there's the uh, the human that are trying to attain the occult powers and then you've got like these occult these like extraterrestrial beings or godlike beings and they're trying to maybe interact with this mortal world where they don't have all the same powers so I don't know, like between the pages, it's a cheesy uh, quote. I don't know where it came from, but it, like the real story is between the pages. Like when you turn the page of a comic, like things are happening that don't happen in other mediums. And I think that's part of the, the cool aspect of this. Right. I think, I mean, you guys correct me. I'm not too well versed in DC. Is Superman immune to magic or is that one of his weaknesses too? It's kryptonite and is it magic too? I guess if you want uh, to I'm pretty sure it's just kryptonite. Yeah. Superman is vulnerable to magic. While he possesses incredible strength, speed, and vulnerability to others, it's kryptonite and magic. So that means oh. magical attack spells and enchanted objects oh. can harm or affect Superman. So, hmm. you know, that just brings... I feel like that's a thing. Like, you get people like Doctor Strange, you know, who was a doctor that fucking should be a paraplegic, right? <laughs> but right. because of, you know, the alchemical forces or the magical spirit, he's able to become a superhero. And I watched this video saying that at the time, you know, they were trying to really make characters interesting. And the only thing they could really come up with is occult stuff, like black magic stuff um, and deities, you know, half gods, half, you know, like Superman and stuff. And it wasn't up until... Uh, the nuclear or the atomic bomb that the creators were like, hey, what if the radiation can affect certain people and then they can turn into, you know, different superheroes. And then that's when they kind of started coming up with um, like Spider-Man, you know what I mean? A lot of the X-Men are mutated humans, you know? Uh, Even fucking like, I have a, I have a theory that maybe Iron Man is kind of ma- based around Walt Disney. You know what I mean? Electronics, <laughs> <laughs> sure. rich, rich dude. You know what I mean? Uh, who knows? But like Captain America right now, and and it goes back into some of these things which are which are interesting. And I feel like Marvel is really doing that. And I feel like Stan Lee knew something, right? Stan Lee and obviously Grant Morrison. Like like we said before the podcast, uh, I reached out to Thomas and we're like, dude, we're both comic book fans, but not so much nerds about the writers and all that, you know what I mean? But we know the storylines. But certain writers that stand out because of our interest in the occult is Grant Morrison and Alan Moore, right? But I feel like Stan Lee kind of knew something because a lot of these characters, if you look into their backgrounds, they kind of remind you of certain historical figures. Like like I said, Doc, Dr. Strange, probably Alistair Crowley-ish. Um, 
uh, what's his name? Red Skull, almost kind of like Hitler-ish, right? Like <laughs> yeah. he's he's after certain relics, ancient relics. You know what I mean? He's got Hydra, which is like a shadow government or yeah. sh- well, shadow. They, they had uh, multiple uh, storylines about like the the occult powers of the Spear of Destiny and and all these different like artifacts, which were right. legit things that the Nazis were doing, right? And and trying mm-hmm. to find. Uh, like all these Tibetan secrets. I mean, they've got they've got long story arcs about that exactly in the 50s and 60s. Right. And something interesting, I sent you guys the video, the 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 documentary that you mentioned was uh is it Talking with the Gods by Grant Morrison? Yeah, that's Grant Morrison's. So Grant Morrison, what did he do? He did Batman, he did X-Men, right? I think he did um a long, long, too. long list of stuff. I think my my favorite one is the Invisibles. I'm pretty sure that's a Grant Morrison one. Hmm. Same with Alan Moore, right? Those two names, I feel like responsible for a lot of a lot of yeah. And uh, one of Alan Moore's claims the fame. I mean, he's got a million too. But uh, from Hell, which is the retelling of Jack the Ripper as a like a Freemasonic uh, serial killer that was like in high society. So like, uh, dude, that Alan movie, Moore right? is, is deep. Yeah, uh, that was a movie with Johnny Depp, but they, Depp. they didn't uh, go into it as much as the comic. Like the comic book explicitly makes sure that you know they're talking about Freemasons the whole time. Uh, Did Alan Moore do Watchmen? No. Right? Oh man, I, f- I feel like this is a pop quiz. I think he. I think he did. I, he I, this, uh, he I did remember Watchmen. Swamp Thing. Alan Moore had an amazing Swamp Thing okay. uh, run in the nineties that. That was my first introduction to him before I even knew he was like a magical motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, because that all feels like it's in the same like scope. Like Watchmen. he did, he did, write, he did Watchmen, Watchmen, right? Watchmen, yeah. created. I, I highly, highly recommend The Invisibles. Probably my favorite comic book series of all time. It's Good like man. it's totally conspiracy theory oriented. Like the whole thing, nice. it's got time travel. They they have like the decapitated head of John the Baptist. Which gives oh, them like clues on where to sold, go. Sold, bro. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, say less. Say less. What? Why I mentioned those two, and I mentioned that documentary. Grant Morrison, obviously, really into the occult, really into magic, right? He talked about hyper sigils, right? And he would talk about how sometimes he would use his comics as hyper sigils, right? Because certain things that he would write in would happen to the people that he based those characters on. Um, And he talked about different ways of how to charge those sigils, you know, being into the occult. I mean, I don't think Zach, are you aware of sigils and how to charge sigils and like all that shit? (laughs) Nah. So this is going to be learning for me. Yeah. (laughs) Give us a crash course, my man. Thomas, about hyper sigils, I mean, and how that's kind of used in, in, in like programming right now. And is it being used in programming? I think so. I mean, so like a regular sigil, if if we go to like oversimplify it, but every, almost everyone's seen the little magical talismans and they've usually have like little circles and like little squiggly lines and, and um, like they connect and make like little like half stars and pentagrams. So a lot of that is based on Enochian magic and specifically John D and John D had this system where he would make a magic square. And if you don't know magic squares, what was that? Uh, Oh man, there was a, a movie that came out recently. Tenet. Remember, you know, the movie Tenet. 
Yo, I walked out on that movie. I couldn't handle it. Well, so but the mo- the movie Tenet, I I'm gonna probably get some of this a little bit wrong, but Tenet, T-E-N-E-T, is actually part of a magic square, and I think it might be the the square of Saturn. But oh, what you can shit. do is, yeah. is you can create these magic squares, mm. and John D would then map certain words out or phrases or or just anything you could think of, and he would basically almost play connect the dots to oversimplify it. So you would like spell a word out, you know, my name is John D or whatever. And then you would connect all of those different dots and lines. And there might be some like a astro- like astrological uh, assignment to some of the, like the, the little details that he would add, but essentially mm-hmm. they're just visual representations of certain concepts. And that's what all these little talismans are. And that's kind of what a normal sigil might be for for some people but what you can do is you can kind of like focus on that sigil and it can manifest something another example of this is king solomon king solomon and the his 72 seals and there's a magical book called the lesser seals of king solomon but basically solomon had command over demons or they call them daemons and like by by creating these different symbols he could essentially force this daemon to do like certain tasks. Like even if, if you get into like computers, you said programming mm-hmm. in programming, you've got in like Linux systems, you've got something called like a daemon that is just a background process that runs something. And that's kind of the similar concept of this old uh, Solomon magic where you might, I'm going to oversimplify this, but you might have like the, like a daemon of, uh, like the corn or something or of of like um you know harvesting and you can summon that daemon and now this this spirit of harvesting helps you harvest either it does it itself or it invigorates the people that you're hiring to like harvest things and it makes them harvest it more but either way this this daemon is the the self-running thing that kind of amplifies what you want to happen mm-hmm. um so so this is the concept of Solomon using his sigils to summon these daemons and then more modern John D. And then you've got, I think even in Tony Blair in the nineties or two thousands, he would say he would wake up and he would make like a magic circle and sort of like give himself this power and, and like say some things um, like every single morning. And it became this ritual. So tying that into like a hyper sigil, if you're not just drawing uh, a visual representation of a word on this little magic square or, or just like little symbols. Now a comic book is all symbols. It's oh, yeah. it's symbols on top of symbols, not just the panel you're looking at, but before when I was talking about that page turn, there's something that happens in comics outside, even regular book. Cause like if you're in a book, right. And the sentence feels like it didn't end yet. And you turn the page, you expect that sentence to pick up exactly where it left off. But yeah, the voice book, in your head is fucking yeah. Yeah, dude, like, like a comic book can screw with your head because it'll show you a panel and then you're expecting when you turn the page to see something that like continues that, but it might just completely change the scene. And what it does is it forces you to imagine what happened between those two um in a, in such a visual way. Cause like you're seeing what's happening and then you don't see the end of it. So now you you like force yourself to see what happens next. And that doesn't even really happen in books. It definitely doesn't happen in movies or TV because they show you everything. Some would argue that in the Dark Knight Rises that does happen. Uh, I have I have a spirited debate with my with my uh, brother-in-law about how he thinks that movie is bad because it doesn't show how uh Bruce Wayne gets back in the Gotham after he gets out of the um out of the hole. 
but that's just kind of like a tongue in cheek. Well, a good example. There's another one too. Is uh, Punisher Warzone uh, is really good at making it feel like a comic book, where it'll just make these really jagged and jarring cuts, but it, it feels like it's the the different panels on a on a page. So it's not the the best movie with merit, but it's one of my favorite Marvel <laughs> yeah. movies. I think the movie that does it really well is uh, Spider Verse, almost too well. You know what I mean? Yeah, you might get get a seizure. <laughs> it's working too. Scott well. Pilgrim too. <laughs> yeah, Scott Pilgrim's too. Scott yeah, Pilgrim but no, that, that's true because there's well. also there's also like a shock factor when you know you're you're on a page with a bunch of panels, the story's amping up, and you flip the page and it's a full panel, right? It's a one panel shot of something intense happening, and just that image, it could have one letter. Or like one bubble with one word, but that mm-hmm. image is so powerful and already conveys like you know um, a memory or an experience in you. You know, that's all yeah, over watching them. Page. Page. And mm-hmm. and those are cool because there's like these unwritten rules of comics where normally the splash page is on a page turn. Like you want someone to turn it and then immediately see that splash because that's this big impact surprise if it's on the opposing page then as you turn it you already see that there's a splash page so then it's Mm -hmm. like you want to rush through the left side so that you can get over to the right side uh and and it's like knowing how to actually orchestrate all that it's like no you want it so as soon as you turn the page it's like bam there's a splash page it's like a nice little treat and then you can move over to the right side but like knowing all these like small little intricates and that's again talking about like the hyper sigil when you know about these different rules, um, like it's a lot easier to make sigils out of it. Like mm-hmm. I don't have the time or the patience to turn yeah. every single comic I work on into <laughs> like a hyper sigil. I wish I, I did, uh, <laughs> but I could definitely see where, where he's coming from with that, where I think about classic Disney animation exactly the same way, because unlike now where you can just render it all out and it makes the frames, but there was an actual human being that was sitting down at a table for weeks or months drawing the same exact thing over and over again, you know, like, like literally like thousands and thousands of times. And I feel like if, if sigils are real and you really believe in sigils, then that has to be a sigil. Like Mickey mouse has to be a real sigil just because of how many times people have drawn it in the exact same way. Thousands and thousands of times. Also, it doesn't even need to be a detailed picture, you know? Like, you just got to get close. The ears and the nose and the red shorts. Well, it's enough to get like, oh, studio, yeah, but it's a sigil. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because what, what I, what, why I bring these guys up is they believed in magic, right? Like, Grant Morrison was super deep into magic you know he would charge a sigil i heard bro i don't, I don't know if you can you can um confirm this but i heard i don't know what what comic exactly but he had a release and the sales weren't doing too good so he had his people in his community at a certain time do like a unification jack-off session <laughs> in order to raise sales and oddly enough sales went up man <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. Let me, let me look that, <laughs> our, that comic book up because that would bring more merit to that story. But what I'm saying is, uh, it, this might sound crazy, this might sound fanatical, but the people who are writing these stories believe in it. You know what I mean? And it's like, mm-hmm. like I said about you know frequencies, do they still need uh, MK Ultra? Do they still need Sigil Magic? I feel like if it works, why not just fucking compound all of them, right? <laughs> um, have... 
Juan from Juan Podcast, your, your friend on the guy, he's been on our podcast probably twice. Um, he talked about sin and magic, right? Like even movies can be like an advanced form of sigils, moving sigils, and linked in with sound systems in order to kind of have a double effect, right? Mm-hmm. I think so, movies even more powerful than a sigil. I mean, that's my opinion, but mm-hmm. because if it, if a movie is good you really do put yourself into the place of whoever you're watching. Um, so you can have someone go through an experience that's really cheap, right? Like I can make you feel like you've just lost uh, like a, like a close relative and make you cry over it. Literally. So it was all just the movie. Uh, and mm. if I could do that, I don't even have to mm. be there to like witness it or like coach you. I just know that, I put this thing out and the, and the music hits at this certain place and the tear comes down the cheek. Like I got you. Um, and, and that's kind of what sigils are trying to do for some people. It's like, if I just yeah. concentrate on this thing, I can make this person feel this way. Or you can just sit their ass in front of a screen for, you know, a half hour or, or 90 minutes and get like a precise effect. So I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like sigils is, is like, that's your great, great grandpa's, you know, technology. But now right. we got like TikTok videos. Like that's yeah, that's yeah. Really <laughs> more powerful than sigil, in my opinion. D- d- I think memes could be some kind of sigil. Yeah, right? there you go. Dude, meme memes is is like a super like if Graham Morrison wants to call a comic a hyper sigil, then memes is like you know steroid <laughs> sigils or I don't know what you want to call it. Literally, Fent- man, like fentanyl like, sigils. Dang. You said some of the low quality memes be hitting the hardest sometimes. You know what I'm saying? All the simplest ones really do, man. Right. Crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. It's all, I mean, I wouldn't blame anybody for being a paranoid American, man. It's all fucking mind control out there. It really is a battle for your attention. You know what I mean? And the crazy thing is, I feel like, um, we spoke about this in the podcast and let's wrap this up with this because, uh, it ties in. Cause I, I've been, I've been prepping these guys up for uh for Juan to come back on the next one to break down the uh you know the mind unveiled video of the homunculus but i've been kind of telling these guys what homunculus is you know what i mean and how that kind of ties into this and um show me shirt <laughs> it may not look like it but I'm a homunculus <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you know, a lot of um a lot of these Marvel characters could possibly be homunculus. One of the most, I feel like, occult characters besides Doctor Strange is fucking Wanda, right? Scarlet Witch. Scarlet yeah. Witch like if, yeah. if you look at the, what's it called? Is it the Lima where they do have a Scarlet Witch, right? Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, yeah, they, they've got the the Scarlet Woman who was Marjorie Cameron for a while. Like that was when it was Jack Parsons. And he he called her the Scarlet Witch, but they also referred to her as a homunculus. Oh wow, really? Oh, yeah, this is the the Crowley Moonchild ritual. So so Alistair Crowley, he had a a completely different look at the homunculus. Most most people like the Middle Ages homunculus was like a little dude that you could kind of like grow like a sea monkey in a way, like a little mm-hmm. chia pet or something. But Crowley thought that the human bot, like the human fetus didn't have a soul for the first, I don't know, like I, I was going to make up a number, like three months. So the first trimester, basically that <laughs> it was just a clump of cells literally had no soul. But if you went out into the middle of the desert where there were 
all sorts of roaming spirits and, and disembodied um, sort of entities that you could attract one of them to take hold and, and kind of like become the spirit inside of this little fetus homunculus before a human soul developed in it. So that was what they, they did the Babylon working ritual. It was Jack Parsons and L Ron Hubbard of Scientology. They went out into the desert and they were trying to do this Babylon working ritual to create a homunculus. And although, you know, basically it was probably unsuccessful. Jack Parsons later said that a, a woman that he met Marjorie Cameron was that homunculus that they were trying to create and then later called her the scarlet woman because that ties into revelations and the scarlet woman's the one that yeah. sits on the head uh, on the head of the beast and has the reins in one hand and the chalice in the other hand right and i mean i didn't know she was homunculus what i was going to bring up was her kids possibly being homunculi because you know they first first of all there's a lot of things going on with with scarlet witch's story right that's esoteric first of all you have fucking vision who's like a cybernetic golem right mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly what he is <laughs> yeah and then fucking we have the kids who are like interdimensional homunculi like you know what i mean what would you i'm pretty sure there's no way vision and scarlet witch can make kids right so how would that happen right and <laughs> i feel like Back, back to sigil before we cap off sigil i feel like there's a lot of vanilla terms that get downplayed but if you look into it and you kind of look into their root words or their meaning they could mean deeper things and i feel like sigil is a deeper meaning to um or a deeper cinema synonym to the placebo effect right because it's really your intentions which when what you put into it right like i know there's people that have like sigil generators right and i mean there's there's instructionals of how to make your own sigil. It might not be like the authentic ways from the manuscript, but sometimes it, it works for some people, right? Because you could say it's it's just the intention of it, right? Um, but going back to the homunculus, I know when I brought it up, Zach had some questions about it. And so I just wanted to clear that up because I was curious about it too. Because I heard that, you know, you could kind of trap a spirit and, put it into the you know the totem the organic totem it goes back to walt disney possibly going back into a different you know what i mean uh humanoid organic kind of material but do you need is it more of a spiritual sense where you're doing that or, or do you need the the essence which is you know obviously semen to, to in order to make it happen like well, the, a homunculus by definition doesn't have a soul so it's it's a, imagine a person with everything except for the soul. That's the closest you could get to like a human homunculus. But then all the way down to uh, like like the the most crude version of the alchem uh, alchemical version, right? Is that they would try to like develop their sperm into a, a a growing being, and by doing that, they would try to fertilize it. So they might mix it with like cow shit, and then they might mix it with like. A bunch of stuff from the lab so at the end of the day you got this you know this crusty old wizard looking dude that's just like mixing his semen with you know dirt and poop and just stuff around him and he's like this is going to be my little guy he's going to be my little helper you know what i mean so yeah that you've got that one aspect of it but on the other aspect you um like renee descartes he basically said that not everyone you see out in the world 
is a real human being. He was like way ahead of the time on like the NPC thing. So he yeah. would actually say people were mechanical animals. And unless you could prove that you had a soul and that you had a reason, then you might just be just like a clone. Like you might just be like a robot out there. And that also would be a homunculus. And, and you, actually, you actually asked an interesting question I never considered. Every reference to a homunculus I've come across so far, you would never have to trap a soul and then like put it inside of a body. That mm-hmm. might that actually probably would still be the definition of a homunculus. It's almost like a gin, though, like putting it inside yeah. of like a, a magic lamp because just like the moonchild, but almost every other homunculus, what you're doing is you're trying to create a vessel that's like enticing. It's like setting up like a bomb ass, you know, Airbnb and being like, here, rent me out, bro. Like this is <laughs> prime real estate. That's really what you're trying to do when you're making a homunculus is you want to attract some other entity to come in and latch onto it or the opposite could be true if, if you astral project and you don't know what you're doing and you like disconnect that silver cord and you float off for too long mm-hmm. then another spirit can come by see your body's not being used and just take that and now like your body technically was a mm. homunculus for that small moment of time but now it's like possessed by some other entity so it's no longer a homunculus now it's this other thing and now you're the disembodied spirit and now you're looking for the next body to jump into. Shit. Like Insidious. Yeah, yeah like a little bit. Okay. You know, and that's crazy because, like, yeah. are we? I mean, the controversial thing I said was fucking, and we'll get into this on the next one, is that <laughs> Jesus was a homunculus. <laughs> I mean, it checks out, man. I mean, you're not laughing, so obviously this is something that you've heard before, right? Yeah, I mean... It, I don't know if I've got it by me. Hold on. Yeah. So, so this is actually a little comic that I worked on with Juan. Oh, yeah. I wanted to bring that up too. The homunculus owner's manual. And in, I'm pretty sure in here we have a specific uh, panel that talks about Jesus being um, a, someone calling Jesus a homunculus and that Mary was basically just the vessel. Yeah. Here, so here's the moon child reference. Um, we're we're a camera, moon child. But yeah, I don't. I don't know which page it's on. Actually, it's it's definitely in here uh, somewhere. And like, here's all the different versions. So like, yeah, they would <laughs> they would uh, basically put semen <laughs> inside the womb of a cow, um, and then they would plug it up with the the sun of the the stone of the sun, which could have just been you know semen. And mm-hmm. then like, if a fetus comes out, they would take like the cow fetus and then they would put it inside of like a beaker and just let it like ferment or they might bury underground for a little while and there's all these weird um things that are attributed to the homunculus uh like for example you can take one of them after you've grown one and if you like kill it under the moonlight and put its blood on your feet then you can fly or you can walk on water uh or if you mix it with like monkey brains then that'll make like demons appear and these are all these are all like specific formulas that were from these old grimoires. Mm. Bro, okay. I know you got to go. I'm going <laughs> to wrap it up with this. And this question alone, maybe I'll cut this here for YouTube, but this will get us off of YouTube for sure. Jesus, brain's um, cooking. Adrenochrome frazzle drip, right? Somehow, that shirt, by the way, drink adrenochrome is yeah, funny. Shout out to Bohemian Grove. <laughs> Lucy, that shirt. That's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah. Oh man. So you just said 
when we have our consciousness taken away and we're empty vessels, we could possibly be homunculus, right? Mm-hmm. Or homunculi. Mm. Um, and w- how that's happening, who knows? You know, that's another conversation to have. But one of the traits of the homunculus is, you know, you eat its organs or you, like you said, you rub blood all over your feet or whatever and you gain magical powers, right? Something I've been, a theory I've been building going down this rabbit hole is that maybe, and you can school me on this and either build it or destroy the theory is the kids that are getting traffic. What if their homunculi and the adrenochrome is, you know, just like the magic essence. And it's not, you know, I feel like it's targeting certain kids and certain people and not just kids and, you know, everybody else. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, this is one that I, I looked into to like disprove it. And, uh, like I came back out with, with way more questions than answers for sure. Fucking a. So, and, and again, man, like I, I don't get into the woo woo stuff. I did like a, I actually, if you go on YouTube and do a search for the word thrill oxide, I couldn't get it uploaded with the word adrenochrome. They just kept giving me strikes. So mm-hmm. there's a documentary called thrill oxide but it's on Rumble, and the full name of it, uh, uncensored on Rumble, is Free um, Adrenochrome, Freemasonry, and MK Ultra, which sound like just three random conspiracy theories that you kind of like throw out and mix it up. But but dude, these things are 100% linked, and I'll just cut right to the end of it. But I came away, and I really do think that Adrenochrome has some sort of of real potent power to it. Um, not, and I, I don't think it's like magical and that like, there's spirits involved, but I think that someone found out that adrenochrome can help beat like maybe cancer. It can maybe help you get over, um, horrible bouts of depression, schizophrenia, like th- there might be some very real evidence that people that have higher amounts of adrenochrome in their system can survive large bouts with trauma where like a normal person would have a heart attack or they would just keel over they would just you know succumb to stress people that can handle large amounts of adrenochrome don't like they can survive large bounds of stress it's basically when your body creates a, a whole shit ton of adrenochrome it's because it was from adrenaline you got a huge adrenaline spike from whatever a bear attack or mm-hmm. someone yelled at you or you just got some horrible or good news but if if you can process adrenaline fast enough that your heart doesn't stop working, then it immediately turns into adrenochrome. So if you can find a source of adrenochrome and start to condition your body the same way that back in the day, you'd have like the Royal Taster and they would always like yeah. or, or like Rasputin, I think, or I might be mixing the names up, but they would like take a little bit of poison every day so that over a while you could like make yourself almost immune to a normal dose of poison that would kill everyone else. And for you, you would, you would be able to kind of like, you know, work yourself through it. Well, I think it's the same exact thing with adrenochrome is that you can train yourself to handle these large bouts of adrenaline quickly. And that has very real psychological, physiological effects that go along with it. And that's like what the, you know, they don't want you to know, but they really don't Mm -hmm. want you to know this because you're not even allowed to say the word out loud, you know, without getting basically demonetized or, Literally. Uh, you know, good luck finding other people that are legitimate that are looking into the same stuff because it, it's just like a boogeyman tale now. Can't so, 
I, I mean, I, I heard that, yeah, obviously that it is like a nutritious substance, but the way to extract it obviously is is very barbaric, right? Because you have to extract it at a... I don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, I feel okay. like if if you're doing like the satanic ritual aspect of it, then yeah, they probably want to like cut your face off while they're extracting it. But from from everything that I've done research into there would be no difference than just harvesting adrenochrome from like a cow. Like, like oh, wow. if, you, if you go and just get the adrenal glands of a cow from, you know, a, a slaughterhouse, you can still get real adrenaline out of, out of that cow's adrenal gland. And then you can just mm. mix it with, I think it's silver iodide and that'll make it decompose into adrenochrome. So, I mean, you can, you can synthesize adrenochrome, in in huge vats you know at, at much better scale than you ever could with like kidnapping children and torturing them for it now does someone out there want to do that maybe maybe they get like a rush out of that particular thing but also the whole concept of adrenochrome when it comes down to it is bringing yourself to the very brink of madness and just going absolutely crazy so mm. If, if I'm taking adrenochrome to do that, that's a chemical way. But if I'm torturing people and cutting their face off and wearing it, that is also probably giving you huge rushes mm -hmm. of adrenaline that are bringing you right to the brink of insanity. And if you cannot go insane and bring yourself back, it's like a muscle, right? Like if you go to the gym and you keep breaking those muscles um, and you keep putting on more and more weight, like you just keep getting more and more jacked. Imagine mm -hmm. like you can do that, but it's your, the, like your mental health. Like if I can keep, making myself go almost crazy that's like going and like shredding that top layer of, of muscle fiber right and if you right. do that for a lifetime uh you can probably like make your way through and, and go through any sort of torture or any sort of crazy uh strenuous event you might be able to just pass through it's kind of what joe rogan talks about right like he he forces mm -hmm. himself to be uncomfortable as much as he can. He like runs in horrible weather and he puts like rocks and backpacks and stuff. But that means that when he's in like a normal stasis, he's like extra relaxed because he knows what the far extreme of that is. And if you were to ever make him do something uncomfortable, the way that he explains it, it's like it's nothing compared to the way he trains. So it's it, I kind of see the adrenochrome is something similar, right? Like. Mm -hmm. You you won't go crazy if you're already training yourself to be crazy. Hmm. So it sounds like there's an ethical way of an extraction method for for adrenochrome. Would you say? I mean, yeah. If you just if you just take it from like cows or slaughterhouses, or even um, like a fucking horse, right? Like after a yeah. sprint type shit. Well, I, I, the reason I say cows is because I believe that the cow's adrenal gland, in proportion to the rest of its body, is like the the biggest ratio of other animals. So it just uh -huh. happens to be more convenient to get it from cows, especially since we're killing so many of them, anyways. Mm -hmm. Holy cow! Holy Man, that, cow. that, that, that phrase goes deep, bro. Holy cow! I mean, don't have a cow. The homunculus. <laughs> don't have a cow. Um. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So, I mean, go, going into that and knowing that, is there really any controversy controversy behind it? I mean, obviously, if that's true, then that's something that the elite would want to grab a hold of. Not so much for, like, any demonic purposes, because why wouldn't you, right? I mean, I, I think that there's something to it. Like, so the, the weird part about adrenochrome, it's a naturally occurring psychedelic i don't i don't know of any other psychedelic drug 
that you could extract from a human being and give to another human being and they would trip off of it. Like, wow. like every other drug that we know comes from plants that that was what made adrenaline such a big thing. They, they discovered how to synthesize or isolate adrenaline in like the year 1901. And it was, it was world breaking. Like it was, this was such a huge revelation because again, every other drug that we've ever known since the beginning of time has always come from plants. Like there's mm-hmm. never been a time when we like took an actual drug from an animal. And now all of a sudden with adrenaline, you can do that. Like in world war one uh, and two, like all of the people that needed to have like epinephrine shots or, or just like adrenaline shots in general, that was the first time that they were able to source that and you could just give it to them. And th- this spawned all of like the SSRI research, all of the psychedelic research, pretty much anything that wasn't an opiate or like a mushroom, all that research came from the discovery of adrenaline because they also realized that the molecule for mescaline and adrenaline were nearly identical. They're all, they're almost interchangeable. And this is why adrenaline and adrenochrome and DMT and LSD, they all sort of get thrown into this big pile every once in a while. Mm. It's because they're so chemically similar. Mm. Wow. Hell yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that puts it into a different perspective and, um, less less of a almost like a comic book villainy you know what i mean like, I mean, like I, we could kill you and get high off of you tonight i if mean we really really want yeah to. you like, could go that the route real thing that could happen <laughs> i mean I, i'm some would say that there's different flavors depending on how you prep certain things right so yeah maybe. I, mean, I i know all the theories where it's like if you torture someone then it like spikes the adrenochrome or makes it more <laughs> potent and but really, adrenochrome is a chemical, and you can synthesize a chemical. I'm also one of the people that believes that, like, if you just do like a DMT vape pen, it's pretty much the same as like doing ayahuasca with like a shaman in the in the middle of the the rainforest. Like, I feel like if it's a chemical, it's a chemical. Set and setting means something, but it, it, like, it doesn't have to be freaking organic. You know what I mean? So. adrenochrome can come from a cow it can come from a little kid that you cut their face off i feel like it's probably the same potency although you're not going to sell as many tickets to like the spirit cooking party if it's Mm. just like a boring old cow so that's where that other part comes in interesting okay i'll wrap it up with this my man um when i was going down into adrenochrome early on i did make this connection that obviously at first first of all i was kind of subscribing into all the presidents kind of being related to Queen Elizabeth, right? And I looked into, was it Prince Charles? Prince Charles is related to Vlad the Impaler. And Vlad the Impaler was obviously Count Dracula. Does Count Dracula have anything to do with the adrenochrome lore? Because, you know, he does live off of the blood, right? It's kind of immortal because of it. Yeah, I mean, all the way back in history, people have always attributed magical powers to blood for a number of different ways. But again, like that, that psychedelic aspect and the adrenaline aspect, that's the first time that they realized that maybe that's what they've been talking about all this time was maybe it's just adrenaline. And even in the Mm -hmm. old um, South and Central American rituals where they would like, I think it was Aztecs, where they would like torture children and make them cry before they killed them because they felt that the tears was symbolic of the rain. Like the rain God 
would give them rain if they made the kids cry because it was the same exact concept of as mm. above, so below. If I make it yeah. rain down here, then the gods will make it rain up there. Um, but even then, they they had this this idea that like the blood has more power to it when you're you're going through some kind of a stress. Even if you look at sex magic, it's like that that like uh, energy that the sexual energy that comes from it makes it more potent. What all those things have in common is adrenaline. All you're doing is you're raising the amount of adrenaline that's in your blood at that exact moment. So, I mean, to, to take all the woo-woo parts out, I feel like that was it. Like, that's what everyone was always trying to find, and they didn't, they didn't have a name for it. They didn't realize it was a freaking chemical that you can isolate. So now we're in the future, kind of, and we know that you can just isolate adrenaline as itself. And now it's just like so commonplace, you know, pe- people have epinephrine like at the go, um, you know, if, if they've mm-hmm. got certain kind of allergies and stuff. But I mean, this is it's hard to understate again that it's a drug that you can extract from a, a living creature and take it. And it's interchangeable. If you took adrenaline out of your body and gave it to a cow, it would have the same exact effect as if you took it out of a rabbit and put it into your body. Like it's the same mm. freaking chemical. Because huh. of you, Thomas. I will try adrenochrome. <laughs> I've been, dude. If you can get the hookup, I've been trying. Although there's the salt form. Apparently, like I've done the research on this, the salt form <laughs> is not as potent. So apparently, uh, the the aqueous form. So when you get it like fresh, like it's still in in like liquid form, that's when it's the most potent. And that when it becomes and it's very unstable, like within a like an hour or so, it can completely degrade. But what some people do is they try to create it in an isolated salt form because it's more stable and it won't deteriorate. But that salt form does not have the same psychological um, effects as the aqueous form. And that's it's a hard thing to sort of like prove because no one's doing psychedelic adrenochrome research anymore. Almost all the adrenochrome research is on blood clots and uh, and like like eye surgery, like like very clinical things. But. It's mm. kind of been discounted that it's also a very strong psychedelic. Sheesh. Man, we'll talk more off Damn. air about that. Because <laughs> I'm curious. But, man, we could keep talking forever, man. But let's wrap it up. Uh, Paranoid American, thank you for coming on. Thomas, uh, where can people find you outside of the cave, man? Yeah, paranoidamerican.com, at paranoidamerican on Instagram. I've always got like five or six projects going on right now. I've got a, a comic book called Frazzle Drip Funhouse. <laughs> you can just go to frazzledripfunhouse.com. It'll bring you to an Indiegogo page to back that comic. Uh, and then next month, I've got a comic with Sam Tripoli coming out called Chaos Twins. Uh, the month after that, I've got Never a Straight Answer, which is a comic about Stanley Kubrick directing the Apollo moon landings uh, for the CIA. And a whole bunch of other stuff uh, after that. So, yeah, paranoidamerican.com is the best way to find me. Hell yeah, man. How many comics have you done, man? Uh, about 50. I think we're just Hell over yeah. like 800 pages worth of Damn. comics. Fuck yeah, man. That's dope. We got the one with Juan, too. I don't know if you brought that up. The Juan and Only, was it? The the chosen one. The chosen one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see that up close. Hey. <laughs> the chosen one. That's dope, man. And it's and I mean it's about one as a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hell yeah. That's all on paranoidamerican.com, right? 
Yep, it's the only place you'll find it. That the homunculus manual. I got this uh, MK Ultra <laughs> paranoid pamphlet that breaks down the whole MK Ultra uh, background from Project Paperclip all the way to modern day. So uh. that's what I do, man. I'm I want to just be the like the go-to for if you want conspiracy theories in the form of comic books or games or art. Like I just want paranoidamerican.com. Easier ways to, to consume it, right? Just right easier ways alley, to man. take that's that information great. in for guys like me. Yeah, literally. Oh yeah. Just just to cap off um, our comic talk, you know, we're on Earth six one six, right? In in Marvel, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm you know where I'm going with yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> you guys know with Zach and Jermaine that it's actually based off Earth six six six. Is it? Tell him, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, six one six is the other interpretation of the 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 number of the beast right because in the in the bible oh, six one right. six could right. also be translated to nero so but yeah mar dude marvel and all the comic series um they all play on on these like occult sort of numbers and aspects because i mean <laughs> that's it's like kind of nerdy in a way right like before before you could be a sci-fi nerd before science fiction was even a thing it was uh -huh. pretty much just being into like occult and magic um yeah. and you know like being able to to sort of fly or or like talk to other realms that was the original nerd sci-fi sort of language mm. way before aliens way before aliens that's i didn't put that together 616 you're right that's <laughs> marvel man very strange <laughs> 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 All right, that wraps up this episode of the Cave Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to talk more Marvel, occult, or we got the sports guys over here, make sure you guys join our Discord. The link should be on our website, cave.com, k4v3.com. Make sure you check out safelightcandle.com. Paranoid American Thomas, thank you. It was a fun time. Peace out. Peace out.